0: All right, open your Bibles, Acts eighteen. We've been in Acts for a, a hot minute here, and we have made it all the way to chapter eighteen. So that means we're really moving. We are we are cooking right through here. Have you ever walked through a challenging season in life where you just needed some encouragement? <laughs> maybe, maybe you got disappointed by something going on. Maybe you thought that life would turn out a certain way or that this certain endeavor would, would work in a, in a favorable direction and it didn't, or it just not meeting your expectations. Has it ever sent you spiraling into a depression or just down and glum for a while? Here in this passage, we see Paul, who is a rather large personality, sometimes offensive, never really quiet. He's an outgoing personality, you would say, and 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 always willing to give it all. He is, at this point, sacrificed so much for the gospel, and it never seems to faze him. He just gets up after being stoned and left for dead and he walks back into the city like nothing happened. Like this is who Paul has been, but in this passage we see him respond a little bit differently to the 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 situation, to the way people are receiving the gospel or not receiving the gospel. And he finds himself in need of encouragement. And so as we study this passage today, we see how the Lord meets him where he needs it and encourages his soul. Of course, we're always looking as we study the word, what, what am I learning about God, who God is? What am I learning about myself? And what am I learning about how God wants me to be, what he will do, how we're going to interact? So Acts 18, verse 1, we're going to go through verse 11. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, that's in Italy, having recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius, the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome and he came to them and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and they were working for by trade they were tent makers. Have you ever heard in Christian circles, Uh, Somebody in ministry has a tent-making business. It's like, you know, this is how you make money, and then you're in ministry too. That's where that that phrase comes from, only they were actually making real tents because it wasn't a phrase back then. Okay, so, uh, and he was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. This is nothing abnormal. This is what Paul does everywhere he goes. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia... Paul began began devoting himself completely to the word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. But they resisted and blasphemed. And he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. Then he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius, Justice, a worshiper of God, whose house was next to the synagogue. That's, I think that's awesome. Right next door. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed in the Lord with all his household. And many of the Corinthians, when they heard, were believing and being baptized. And the Lord said to Paul, in the night, by a vision, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking do not be silent for I am with you and no man will attack you in order to harm you for I have many people in this city. And he settled there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Lord, would you bless the reading of your word today? We come with open hearts ready to receive, ready to be taught and instructed. We set aside our our previous ideas, the things we think we know, Holy Spirit, we're ready to hear from you. Come and speak in Jesus' name. Amen. In the setting here, verses 1 through 4, it says he left Athens. Paul is in the middle of his uh, second missionary journey. He has been in Athens for a while. That's where we were last week, talking about uh, his adventures in Athens, we talked about how he, um, w- we have a good lesson in contextualizing the gospel, using the words and the images and, and the, the themes of the culture around you, some of which are evil and some of which are not, and using those things to get the message of the gospel across. That's what we learned in Athens. And And while he was there, he was kind of waiting for Timothy and Silas to come, they were still up in Macedonia and they were gonna come join him but it seems like things turned a little sour in Athens. He was gonna get himself in trouble again so he moved on before Timothy and Silas got there. So he goes on by himself and he goes on to Corinth and he finds a Jew named Aquila and his wife named Priscilla. They are from Rome. Um, they had they had left Rome because... Um, because Claudius, the emperor, had th- there's de- uh, there's debate on what happened here and why, uh, but the Jews, it says, they had been expelled from Rome. They were not allowed to live in Rome. Now, now records um, conflict here, but but essentially there was. Uh, strife and and stuff being stirred up in the Jewish community. Some think it was the gospel had come to the Jewish church, uh, the synagogues, and everybody was in a riot, and so it, there was a lot of Jews in Rome, and the emperor said, hey, that's enough of that, and actually forbid them from meeting. You can't go to synagogue anymore. You'd, we're we're going to take some time off, cool our jets, stop causing trouble. And because they were forbid, uh, forbidden uh, that meeting space, they left. They went somewhere else where they could do that. That's that's the predominant theory. In any case, most of the Jews left Rome at that point. They came back later, but Claudius had kicked them out. So they find, he finds uh, Aquila and Priscilla in Corinth. Now Corinth is a fairly recently established or reestablished Roman colony. Corinth itself goes back to before 600 BC but it was destroyed by Rome in 154 they they ransacked it it was it was so messed up that nobody lived there for a long time and then in 44 BC Julius Caesar reestablished rebuilt it bigger and, and better like Rome does and and now it's a colony it's it's owned by founded by Rome and so, at this point, the city is only only 80, 90 years old, as far as this iteration of it. All the history that had gone before, all the culture that had been before, all that's gone. This is a a fresh a, a fresh thing. I'm trying to to get at the culture of where where Corinth is right now. And so, many of these cities, like Athens, had. They were steeped in their traditions of philosophy and hundreds and hundreds of years of thinking in a certain direction. And that, that foundation wasn't here in Corinth. What we're dealing with is a modern, um, very hip, very um, with the times. It's all about the market. It's all about the trade. This is a port city. And so it's, it's materialistic, way more materialistic and far less uh, religious except for the cult of Rome, the cult of the emperors. Because it's a colony of Rome, they worship the emperors there. As I mentioned, it's a port city, it's a trade city. If you look on a map at, at Corinth, it's on an isthmus between two large pieces of Greece, and one sea on one side, one sea on the other, and it's the narrowest spot. It's about five miles, five and a half miles across, and most of their business came because they could transport goods and even ships across this land bridge to the other sea without having to sail all the way around. It was a dangerous uh, dangerous journey by ship, and so they would take this shortcut. They, w- they had, it, it, it's the only thing in history like it. It's called a, a dialkos, And they would, it was like a train um, with tracks and everything. They would pull ships out of the water on one side, haul them over land, and put them in the water on the other side. Um, Much of the city was built around this. That was the industry, kind of like, I don't know, Boeing in this area, right? Boeing's been around forever, large part of the economy. Uh, That's what this was in Corinth. I can go down the history and and the, I, I love get digging into that stuff. But I'm trying to just to kind of establish what kind of neighborhood this is, what kind of city this is, where Paul's coming into with the gospel. Um, as in most major cities in the world at this point, there's lots of Jews and synagogues. Paul does his usual thing. He goes into the synagogue, and starts preaching but as he comes here he's by himself he's been waiting for his friends he gets to gets there and, and needs some friends and he finds Aquila and Priscilla apparently he also needs some money so he starts working and and starts earning his keep as a tent maker but he goes into the synagogues as he always did um, and shares that Jesus is the Messiah the one they have waited for their hope the the culmination of all the law and the prophets. But this seems kind of like a low point for Paul as well, a moment of uncertainty. Nowhere else does Scripture mention Paul needing to work and support himself. It doesn't record him anywhere else seeking out the camaraderie uh, and, and friendship and people to, to be with, as it does here with Aquila and Priscilla. They seem like a, a comfort and a solace to him. Maybe maybe as he's coming into Corinth, the the last several months are catching up to him. <laughs> all the all the PTSD from having, I don't know, died or nearly died a bunch of times and, and people not listening and, and being run out of town and and I imagine when he went to sleep at night and closed his eyes, he could see the faces of the of the Jewish leaders that rejected the gospel, and not just rejected it, but became enemies, and uh, and opposed it publicly. They became enemies of the gospel. So he's he's been living through this stuff, and he gets to Corinth, and it, and it's not really working there either. So he's searching out friends. He's not feeling it. There's no real results to show for his efforts going on right now there. He's, he's low on funds, but he keeps going. He keeps going. Even when he's down, even when he's, he's miserable, he shows incredible endurance. He keeps going. Verse 5 says, then Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia. Like, finally, dudes, you are late You are let. You missed all of Athens. And now now you're finally here in Corinth. And it says Paul began devoting himself completely to the word, testifying about Jesus. They finally catch up to him in Corinth. And when they do, Paul is released to full time ministry again. Perhaps they brought financial support from Macedonia. Um, Paul is starting to feel good again and ready to storm the castle. Uh, so to speak. Um, Certain movie quotes come to mind right now, and I'm sure they do for you. Have fun storming the castle, boys. Uh, eh, Never mind. I just, I just, whew, pull it back. Pull it back. And just as Paul is getting, he's getting going again, he's feeling good again, these Jews also resist and it says they even blasphemed. Blaspheme is a Greek word that means to speak badly, reproachfully, or contemptuously of someone. Basically, to talk bad about somebody. But in Jewish culture, blaspheme is is a bigger deal. Like, it would have been used in Greek about just talking bad about somebody. But in in Jewish culture, blaspheme um, is specific to speaking ill of God. Or taking something that is sacred and holy and using it in inappropriate ways. This is blasphemy. Usually, the the punishment for blasphemy is death. Like, that's kind of the boilerplate answer: blaspheme, death. That's that's where you end up most of the time. That's how they they tried to pin Jesus. That's how they they martyred many uh, of the of the early believers. They got him with blasphemy because you can bend that a lot of different ways, right? So he was saying bad stuff. Okay, all right. So it's a bad thing, but it's especially taboo in reference to God. You do not speak ill of God. And so what it's saying here is they blasphemed. Now, these are good Jews. They would never intentionally say something bad about God, but they were blaspheming Jesus. Jesus. They were speaking ill of Jesus. They might have been mocking his questionable lineage. Who was his father really? Or that he came from Nazareth, which was clearly not where Scripture said Messiah would come from. They would also talk bad about Nazareth in general. That was not a favorite town in Israel. Or they may have openly mocked the fact that Jesus was crucified because. No victorious Messiah from God would would have suffered such a defeat. Well, Paul met Jesus face to face. Paul met the risen, resurrected Jesus face to face. Let me say say that another way. Jesus met Paul face to face on the road to Damascus. So Paul, having encountered Jesus, knowing who he is full well, kind of took this personally. He did not suffer kindly this kind of abuse of his Lord, and he responded severely. He shook out his robes, shook the dust off. It's a symbolic gesture that that it's essentially the Jewish middle finger to the folks in the synagogue. Oh, yeah? It's a sign that he would not be associated with them any longer. He, would, uh, he was cutting off relationship with them and separating himself from the judgment that would come from this kind of blaspheme. It's an extreme look for Paul especially. especially essentially, he's been spending all this time in synagogues and working so hard to convert these folks and then the Gentiles as well. He's been putting up with a lot of it for a long time, and this is kind of our indicator that Paul's not in a great spot right now. He's suffered a lot at the hands of people like this, and he's always been gracious and compassionate to this point, but not this time. Not this time. He was ticked, and he made the gestures to prove it. He was D-O-N-E done. Now try and imagine where he's at emotionally. He's been giving his life to share the gospel of salvation, the gospel of peace. He's gone through some terrible things, lots of terrible things, in order to keep sharing. He knows, this is one of the things that would drive me nuts, he knows the law and the prophets better than anybody in that synagogue. He knows their stuff better than they know their stuff, and they still won't listen to him. They are insisting on staying under the old covenant when God has made a way to be saved. Paul is distraught, and he's ticked. He even says things that he doesn't really mean. For instance, from now on, I'm only talking to Gentiles because before this chapter's out, he's already in another synagogue in another town. So like we... He didn't mean that, but this guy this guy feels like he's ready to write one of those angry psalms. Oh god, shatter the teeth of my enemies. I I have been done wrong. Eventually they start talk those psalms start talking about God's faithfulness, but they start with the fist shaking. He leaves the synagogue and he goes next door. I think this is part of the middle finger here. Uh, he goes right next door because there's a believer that lives right there. Uh, Titius Justus lived next door to the synagogue. The word in Greek there is literally adjacent to. It's not nearby. It's not in the same neighborhood. It's not on the same block. The next property is Mr. Justice. And this must have been a major pain for the Jews there and Paul didn't care. Even the leader of that synagogue got saved in the process. So we, I don't know how that happens, but he did, and, and the Holy Spirit got through to him. Many other people in Corinth are hearing the gospel and still responding. But the pressure of the Jews was mounting too. In this section, we see that you cannot depend on people's responses, and you cannot depend on your circumstances to automatically cooperate with what God has given you to do. God has given you something to do. Sometimes it, it feels like mundane. It's just the same thing over and over. It's to be faithful in certain things. It's to... it's. Sometimes it's a little more dramatic. You're to go somewhere, you're to do something, but God has things for you to do and you cannot depend on other people or your circumstances to just fall in line and automatically cooperate with what God has given you to do. Yes, God moves providentially. Yes, God can uh, and does line things up to make a way for you. But you may not get what you thought you were going to get when you said yes. It may not look like you thought it was going to look when you said, yes, sir, I'll do that. But remember that God is not as interested in making life nice and comfortable for you as much as he is saving those souls who are lost. I've said that before. I'm going to say that again. God is not as interested in making life nice and easy and comfortable for you as he is saving the souls of those who are lost. And your yes was to that end, to help souls that are lost find salvation. So it's, that's where God is going. In the process, he's going to make you look more like Jesus. And he will, in fact, use whatever life throws at you to do those two things in incredible ways. He will do that. But you cannot just expect life around you to say, oh, hey, great job. That's exactly what should be done right here, right now. You are right on. Here's a gold star sticker for you. Paul is in this place where he... He probably thought it would look a little bit different now. Even though at the beginning God told him, I I need to show you how much you're going to suffer for the gospel. Something in us goes, Yeah, but if I'm doing the right thing, it's going to go better. So then we come to verse 9. And the Lord said to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid any longer. But go on speaking and do not be silent. Verse 10 says, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. The Lord has seen fit to bring encouragement to Paul in more than one way. He's indirectly brought encouragement through the likes of Aquila and Priscilla. I, I would love to have been part of their conversations as they're sitting around making tents. I mean, they're believers coming from coming from uh Italy and he's coming, and uh, they've got stories and, and they've got testimonies of the Lord's goodness and how they how they met Jesus and those kind of those kind of relationships can be very, very encouraging. Have you ever had a, a friend when you needed a friend? Yeah. And just like, oh, man, I feel like I can, I can keep going now. I can, I'm not by myself. God gives us friends, and he gives us community for encouragement. And then the Lord also directly encouraged Paul. He came to Paul in a dream and tells Paul three, three things. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep on speaking and nobody will attack him or harm him because God has a lot of people in the city and he would work through them to protect and preserve Paul. Man, what a message to to receive from God. There's a couple things I think we should note that God didn't say. He didn't say it was going to be easy. He didn't say the Jews were going to listen. He didn't say that, uh, that everybody would be super receptive to the gospel. He just said what Paul was to do. He said, keep on speaking. Don't be afraid. The first part of this message clearly implies that Paul needed the message. God doesn't come to you and say, don't be afraid if you weren't afraid. It doesn't really sound like Paul, does it, to be afraid or to be in fear at all. But he was indeed beginning to fear and was considering shutting his mouth and keeping it on the down low because he kept getting himself in trouble. (laughs) He kept getting hurt. He kept getting whomped. So he was beginning to fear. He needed to hear this. And second, the second thing about this message that that God brings to Paul is that God is not far away. God knew exactly where Paul was, what he was going through, what he needed, how he was suffering, and knew how to encourage him. He was not the distant master that sent his servant off on a far-off adventure to accomplish something for him. Yes, he had sent Paul, but he was also with Paul, in the moment. He didn't say, "Hey, let me know when you're done. Good luck." He went with him. And it was with him the whole time. Remember Moses in Exodus 33 when God is talking about bringing the people up to the promised land and Moses said, "If your presence does not go, do not lead us up from here." We're not going nowhere on our own, if you're not with us. The other passage that comes to mind is Jesus in the Great Commission. He says, go therefore. So here's the, the command. Go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. So this is the difference maker. This is the difference maker because Paul was beginning to feel alone. Paul was beginning to feel down and things were not going the way he expected them to go. And it was dragging him down. He needed to be reminded that God was with him, not just the one who sent him. And God being with you is the difference maker. And I believe that many of us here today need to hear this. Our hearts need to hear it. You may feel like you're on your own right now. You feel like you're just hanging in there. You're not going to do nothing stupid. You're going to keep doing what you need to do, but it's crazy. It's crazy. And people are not responding the way you think they should. Your circumstances are not the way you imagined that they would be. You're just hanging in there. You're kind of waiting for Jesus to come back. But you and I need to hear this today, that in that spot, God is not distant, telling you to get your act together. He is with you in that place. He's with you as you are working through the emotions. He's with you and he says, "Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For I am with you." Yeah, it looks it looks bad. Yeah, it's super disappointing. And I and I'm not and I'm not taking that that experience I'm not diminishing that experience at all. Disappointment is real. Depression is real. But in the middle of that situation, God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. So Paul responds to the Lord. It was in a dream, so we don't know know, what he said or if he said anything, but Paul decided that he would obey the Lord. I know this seems super uncharacteristic for Paul, but that was sarcasm. This is, this is the way Paul responds when God speaks to him. He obeys. And he obeyed the Lord in this case also, and he stayed in Corinth, not just for a couple more weeks, he stayed for 18 months. Preaching, reasoning, also back in the synagogues. He was strengthened. He was encouraged by that word from God. The knowledge that God was with him still. Being reminded of that. He was encouraged by his friends and by those relationships. The dark and hard place that he had been didn't just immediately change and go away and resolve, but God began bringing fruit and bearing fruit through his faithfulness. Scripture says that many of the Corinthians were being saved, including some of the synagogue leaders. And in the next passage, we see how much trouble that gets them in. It's just a a mess. But God will reveal himself to you the same way that he revealed himself to Paul. Why? Because this is what we're learning about God in this passage today that he is with you. He's not just in support of you from a distance. He hasn't just given you an assignment and sent you out onto the playing field. He's with you. Speaking, encouraging, enabling, giving you the right words to say, giving you the wisdom you need, showing you the things you need to do and say, warning you of situations to avoid. He is with you. So, like Paul, we will go through, if we're not going through right now, hard times when it will be difficult to keep going. The message that we see from Paul here, the lesson we learned from him is keep going, keep trucking, don't quit. If we let the circumstances and other people's responses dictate our joy, our hope levels, then we're in for a really rough ride. I would, I would call it a bottom scraping ride. Like dragging an anchor on the bottom of the... Like, uh, you're going, you're getting there. It just sucks. But God is with us. He offers us his encouragement indirectly and directly to help us hold on. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of us, our hearts needed to be reminded that he is with you in the hard places today? Sure, we know up here that God is with me, but just to to hear him say again, I'm with you. Don't be afraid. I am with you. It may not be easy, but I'm going to take care of you. I know there's places in my heart that are not all sunshine and roses. And to allow the encouragement of the Lord to come into that and say, no, I'm with you here. I'm with you there, right in that spot. God offers us his encouragement if we will listen. Would you pray with me? Lord, I think we need your encouragement more than we realize. I think we just kind of deal with our depression, we just deal with our our sadness, our disappointment, and just it just kind of becomes our new baseline. And that's just the way things are. But Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear you clearly say today, I am with you in that spot. I'm not absent from that place. I see your disappointment. I I Know what you're walking through. I am with you. I understand. And I want you to not be afraid. Don't be afraid that it'll never change. Don't be afraid that you'll suffer further. I am with you. And I will take you where you need to go. Keep doing what I've given you to do. God, open our ears, open our heart to receive, to receive that encouragement from you. God, I also pray that you would, you would be working in our, in our church, in our, our communities, in our circles, that you would, you would begin bringing relationships along that are that encouragement, that help buoy our faith and and hold us up when we're walking through a hard time. God, would you do that in our in our midst? Do that for us today. And may we see what you're doing and respond appropriately to that. God, we're so grateful for your encouragement. And even, even as we wrap up today, we're thankful for the joy and the, the refreshing that you bring being in your presence is what we're made for and so we just, we love we love being with you, thank you for your refreshing presence in Jesus name amen amen as you go today may you be full of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit remember that he is with you and when you hit the dark spot this week might not take that long to hit it. But as you hit it, remember he's there with you and you're not in the dark spot because he's far away, but he's with you right there. Amen.